anything ever really a coincidence? Or is there something behind everything? That's a very interesting question. And there is a very interesting book in the Hebrew Scriptures showing that our circumstances are leading to a bigger plan, even if we don't immediately see it. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is an author, speaker, and scholar who discusses everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, spiritual and cultural topics of interest to all of us, so we think you'll get a lot out of this program. And our website, evidenceandanswers.org, has past radio shows you may have missed, interviews with leading scholars and experts, Pat's books and articles, and multiple resources to explore. That's at evidenceandanswers.org. Today, Pat discusses the book of Esther, If you or someone you know is going through a painful time, this is for you. So let's go to Dr. Pat Zuckerman speaking before an audience with part one of Esther. Well, how many of you like a good chick flick? Uh, Raise your hand. Two, two people. Come on, how many like a good romance? Okay, six of you. I know George likes them. I saw him coming out of the theater with a box of tissues the other day. Come on, guys. I know there's more of you out there. Well, today, we're going to study a chick flick in the Bible. So turn with me, if you will, to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. You know, often we think that God only works in big and miraculous and spectacular ways. And if the mundane and ordinary is going on, he must be on vacation or something. Or he's got his mind on more important things. However, the providence of God often works in ways we don't even notice. God often works behind the scenes, through the mundane and ordinary, bringing about his purpose and his will in our life. Often we can't see the work in the hand of providence of God until we turn around and we look back upon our lives. Now, as we begin, let me give you the definition of the title of our message here, Esther, providence or coincidence. Providence is the divine action and care of God. God's providence is always at work in our lives. Coincidence, no such thing. That's what Esther shows. In life, no coincidence, there's only providence. Now, before we get into the story, let me introduce the characters and time of our drama. This story is read in the spring during the Feast of Purim there with the Jewish people. And when it is read, the Jews will applaud for the heroes and they'll boo and hiss for the villains. The first is King Xerxes or King Ahasuerus who ruled the Persian Empire from 485 to 465 BC, approximately 20 years. He is the fourth king of Persia. His father Darius the Mede is the one that conquered the Babylonians and established the Persian Empire throughout the Middle East. He's known as a ruthless and volatile ruler of Persia. There's several interesting stories about him. One is recorded in the annals of historical works that one day a nobleman came to King Ahasuerus and offered him a bride so that his son wouldn't have to serve in the military. In that empire, all young men were required to serve several years in the Persian army. And so this man brought his son before the king and offered a great bribe and the king accepted the bribe and the son didn't have to serve in the military. Well, the very next year, the same nobleman came with his son and offered the king the same bribe. And this time the king looked at his guard and said, give me a sword. And with a large sword, he hacked the man's son to pieces right in front of the father. And he took those pieces and with a note sent them throughout his empire saying, anyone that tries to avoid military service 
this is what's going to happen to your son. That's the kind of ruler he was. Now, the second character is Queen Vashti. She is the king's first wife, and that's all we know about her. The third one is our villain here, Haman, the prime minister of Persia. He is the power-hungry Jew-hater, the Persian Hitler, the descendant of the family of Agag. Okay, so it's easy to remember. Haman, he makes you want to gag. Okay? <laughs> then we come here to Mordecai. He is a Jew in the exile there in Persia. He is the uncle of Queen Esther. Queen Esther, well, she's not queen yet, but Esther is the heroine of our story here. He is a descendant of the family of Kish, Esther. Her Persian name means star. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah. Hadassah means dazzling. So apparently, she was the bomb. And we can infer that her parents were terrorists because she was the bomb. Yeah. Apparently a very beautiful niece that he was taking care of. Her parents apparently had died. The time of the story takes place during the Persian Empire, which ruled from, for about 200 years, from 550 B.C. to 330 B.C. During the Babylonian Empire, which precedes the Persian Empire, the Babylonians, of course, conquered the Middle East, and they conquered Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar would take the people from their land and deport them to different parts of the empire. The fall of Jerusalem is recorded in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And the Jews were taken from their homeland and deported to Babylon, present-day Iraq. The Babylonians fall to Darius the Mede, the Persian Empire in 539 BC. And that fall is recorded in Daniel chapter 5. The Persians blockaded or dammed the canals and went in through the canal tunnels and captured the city of Babylon with very little resistance. And at this time, there is no larger empire in the world. The Persian Empire extends from India through North Africa and to the borders of Greece. Of course, if uh, you know history, they were never able to conquer the Greek Empire. So at this time, there's no larger empire in the world than the Persian Empire. The citadel of Susa, the capital there, excavations have shown that the citadel of Susa was 10 times the size of the Pentagon. It's an illustration of how impressive this empire was. And Darius the Mede, King Xerxes' father, allowed the Jews to return home to their homeland, and thousands did. But thousands, however, stayed in foreign lands here in Persia. Why they did not return home, it's not really stated. Esther and Mordecai are some of the Jews living in the Persian Empire who decided not to return home for some reason. Here's an interesting characteristic of the book. The interesting point here is that we never see the name of God mentioned in this book. You know, when I first read this book as a young believer, I thought, why is this book even in the Bible? You know, but once I understood the theme of Esther, it completely changed my life. And I hope this message here, if I can present it, correctly, hopefully will have a great impact on your understanding of God and how he works in this world. But God's name is never mentioned here. And the point is, God is involved in all circumstances. The providence of God is always at work in our lives. And often, his providence, his working is quiet, works through the mundane and ordinary things, often in ways we don't notice. But despite his apparent quietness, we see him in his acts. And more than often, God works in the mundane and ordinary things of life, quietly behind the scenes, 
often in ways we don't notice until we turn around and we look backwards. And that's what Esther illustrates. In chapter 1, it opens, the king throws a great banquet for all of his generals and his governors from throughout the land. And on the seventh day, it says in verse 10, he wants to parade his wife around, Queen Vashti, because apparently she's very beautiful. So he calls her out and she refuses to come out. And so the king is greatly angered and his advisors come up to him and say, hey, you, you can't let this happen. You know, if word goes out throughout the empire that the queen stood up and disobeyed the king, women from all over the empire will disrespect their husbands and mass chaos will break out. So you got to do something. So he says, all right. So he deposes Queen Vashti. Chapter 2, they hold a beauty pageant to discover who will be the next queen, who will be the prettiest of all the women out there who can become the next queen. And here is a young, beautiful Jewish girl of the age of marriage. And she's there at the, the right place, in the right time, and she enters into this beauty contest. Hey, I don't know what they called it back then. Persian Idol, you know, Miss Persia. So she enters it. Now, take a look at their preparation in verse 12 of chapter 2. When the turn came for each young woman to go in to King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under regulations for women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments for women. Wow. Women, how would you like something like that? Huh? One year of being treated with oil and myrrh and spices make, uh, make anybody look good. Make me look good. Yeah. All right, so Esther enters into this beauty contest, and she wins the favor of the king. Verse 15 through 18, she wins, and she is crowned the queen of the empire. Chapter 2 ends with this. Mordecai is hanging out there at the gate of the king. Apparently, he's got some kind of leadership role there, and he's hanging out at the gate of the king. It just so happens by coincidence in verse 21, in those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king, in the name of Mordecai, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. Back then, the gallows, the Persians would put up a tall pole, and they would drive a stake right through the guy's heart. That's how they hung him, right on the gallows. Okay? And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So here we got a series of what appears to be coincidences. The queen is disposed of, and it just so happens by coincidence, we've got a beautiful Jewish girl here of eligible age, goes in, and she wins the heart of the king. And the chapter ends that just by coincidence now, Mordecai is hanging out at the king's gate, and he, by coincidence, hears about this plot, reports it to the king, and his name is recorded there in the chronicles of the books of the kings. What appears to be a series of simple coincidences, being at the right place at the right time, is what we discover indeed, the providence of God. And the lesson we learn from the early two chapters is this, the providence of God does not require high visibility to exist. Just because spectacular big things are not happening doesn't mean God is not at work, right? God often works through the ordinary and mundane things in life 
behind the scenes, often in ways we don't see or recognize. Several years ago, I became a Christian. I was a senior in high school, and you know, suddenly I started studying. Before then, my only goal was to become a, a local golf professional at some nice hotel here in Hawaii, live on my little boat in the Alawai, and be a golf bomb, pretty much. That's all I really want to be. And teachers had the darnest time trying to motivate me to study because I didn't want to. I, that was my only goal, you know. Why do I need to go to college and do all this kind of stuff? Well, God got a hold of me when I was 18, turned my life around, and suddenly I began studying. But, you know, it was too late to rescue my GPA or anything. But finally, I applied to several colleges and got turned down. So, you know, finally a Christian college accepted me on probation. Now, I remember in my sophomore year over there, they were asking me, well, are you going to declare a major? And I was like, no. They were like, why not? You know, professors came out, why not? I said, because I don't know what I want to do. I don't have a clue. So they're like, why are you here? You know, I, went, well, I don't know. I, I just want to serve God. Um, they said, well, we hope you figure it out because, you know, you're already a junior and you're, you haven't declared a major and you're in big trouble. Well, just so happens that that summer I needed a job. Uh, I used to work at Kewala Marine on the tuna boats out there and the owner there had died, so needed a job. Well, my aunt got me a job with the city and county of Honolulu doing the summer fun program at the Pa'oa Valley, Booth Park. And I was thinking to myself, oh man, I don't want to work there. I know those kids. Those are rough kids, man. Rough neighborhood. I grew up there, you know. I, I know what it's like. But I thought, well, I need a job, well, so let's go do it. The guy I was replacing, he quit because he got shot in the neck by one of those kids. So here I come. And the boss was probably going, ah, hey, look at, look at this dummy. Look what we got for this job. But anyway, I come in and uh, began working with 500 of these kids from elementary and then later in the afternoon to work with some of the junior high kids and everything. And I'll tell you what, I had a blast. I had a great time with those kids. I'd hang out at the park. You know, you're done at 4 p.m., but I'd hang out at the park till 9 p.m. A lot of these kids, their dads were absent or alcoholic or whatever. And so they crave the attention of older male to get attention from me. They just loved it. And we had a great time. I'd be at the park till late at night hanging out with those kids because they, they didn't go home. So they'd be out at the park till late at night. I'd be with them. And when I had a chance, you know, I'd share the gospel with them and things like that. Well, you know, you had to be careful working for the state. You can't be too, you know, out there evangelizing and everything. My boss would get in trouble. So I had to be a little more subtle about it. And I began thinking to myself, wow, this is a great job. I wonder what kind of job I could get working with young people, high school to elementary, where I can just share the gospel and, and not have to be afraid and you know, help transform lives and everything. And God, wouldn't that be great? Wow, what kind of job is that? God spoke to me through a friend, and I was telling him about this, you know, what kind of job just be fantastic. And he said, that is called youth ministry. <laughs> why, don't you go, why don't you go into it? I thought about it and said, yeah. <laughs> this is a great idea. Where were young people going to share the Gospels? And so that's how I ended up going into the ministry, doing what I'm doing today. And what appeared to be simply a mere coincidence, I thought nothing about it. I turn around and look back now and realize that was indeed the hand of providence of God, preparing me for the career I'm in today. You know, our life application is to take time this weekend and reflect upon God's providence in your life. Look back, reflect upon your life, think about it. What you thought was simply coincidence, or just being in the right place at the right time, perhaps was indeed the hand of providence, the hand of God working in your life, preparing you for the moment you are in now. 
Now, things appear to go well when we come to chapter 3. And this is where the plot begins. Verse 1, it says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite to the, the son of Hamedatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. Mordecai is exalted to vice president or the prime minister of Persia, a second only to the king himself. And as he walks through the courtyards, the officials are taught to bow down and pay homage to him. But one man refuses to do so, and that's Mordecai the Jew. We pick it up in verse 3. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when he spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the entire kingdom of Ahasuerus. So Haman comes up with a plot here now. He doesn't want to just wipe out Mordecai and his family. He wants to wipe out all the people of Mordecai. He wants to wipe out all the Jews here. So he comes up with a plot here. And we pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 3. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may be put into the king's treasury. So Haman comes up with a plot here, and he comes up with a false accusation here. He says, there's a group of people called the Jews. They live by a different set of laws, and they're going to cause trouble in your land. So allow me to wipe these people out. And in fact, he says, I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver for this to happen. Now, a talent is a pretty big thing here. Silver is the monetary metal of the Persian Empire. 10,000 talents of silver is equivalent to 750,000 pounds of silver. Apparently, Haman's a very, very wealthy guy. He said, I'm willing to put this much in to wipe out these people. And so the king orders a decree, gives Haman his signet ring, and the signet they press into clay underneath the decrees of the king and the decree is irreversible and the king grants Haman his request and orders the decree that the Jews be wiped out. This decree is given in March of 474 BC. Now at this time God seems distant, maybe uncaring, even powerless, but he is at work even through what appears to be a tragedy, bringing about his purpose and the ultimate deliverance of his people. And the lesson we learn is this, God's providence is always at work in our lives in the good and even in the bad. Though things look dark for the Jews in the Persian Empire, this is indeed God's hand of providence still at work, working through even a bad situation to bring about his purpose. Years or decades ago, uh, I was in grad school in Dallas and I came back to Hawaii and I did my internship here. Uh, not at this church, another church. And we were having a great time. The youth group you know, grew to the size of the congregation. Youth staff there, we became best friends. It, anyway, it's the best team that uh, I had ever 
worked with, and it was great. And when my internship was wrapping to an end that summer, the leadership of the church came and said, hey, Pat, you know, you got a few years left at Dallas. Why don't you come on back and come on staff here at the church? And I said, oh, you bet. You bet I'll do it. And so we were making our plans already to have that happen. Well, what I didn't know is that one of the uh, deacons had gone up to the senior pastor and said, you know, we want you to share the pulpit with Pat. Well, of course, he wasn't going to have any part of that. And so, unknown to me, a smear campaign went on, and all kinds of accusations were being leveled against me, all kinds. And uh, I got a call from one of the leaders saying, you know when the youth come to your youth group, do you physically beat the tar out of them? And I said, no. I said, first of all, they're twice my size. Second of all, high school people, they're not that dumb. <laughs> if they're coming to youth group and they're getting, the, <laughs> they're getting the tar beat out of them, most of them know better than to come back, you know. <laughs> but they're coming back week after week and bringing their friends. Huh? And he goes, yeah, I thought, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. But anyway, these are the things being leveled against you. And I thought, man, gosh, what is going on? And so I came back during my Christmas break and sat down. And apparently the leader got some of his men together. And we sat down and they leveled serious charges on me. And I sat there in front of the deacons and I was defending myself saying this could not possibly be true because of this or this or this or this or this. All kinds of strange allegations. I, you know, I was trying to go out with a junior high girl, or, you know, this, I was beating up kids and, uh, you know. Finally, after a couple of hours, I said, you, you know what? I said, if you think I'm going to apply here, forget it, you know. As I was leaving, you know, the leader touched me on the shoulder and said, Pat, let's pray for you. And so they prayed for me. And then as I was leaving, he said, remember, don't ever come back here again. You know, I walked out. I told everyone on the youth staff and, and friends and other deacons, and they were really brokenhearted. We were all brokenhearted over the whole thing. And they still wanted me to apply. And I said, no, no. I said, I, said, I can't apply to somewhere like this. And I remember they were all there at the airport. Back then, you didn't, you know, you could go right to the gate and say goodbye. And uh, we're all in tears as I got on the plane and must have shed tears all the way back, that six, seven-hour flight all the way back to Dallas. And I got back, I talked to my friends there at Dallas Seminary, I said, it's the deal. I only went to serve God. What did I do to deserve this? You know, you, you know the things I'm accused of, you know? I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I came to serve God. And they, they encouraged me, they said, Pat, stay with it, man. God's got a plan. I said, God has a plan? This is part of God's plan? They said, Pat, uh, God's in control, man. He'll, he'll work it out. You know, God? God is going to work this? You know, how, how are we going to ever overcome this stuff? Oh, man. Well, I went back to school, graduated, and got hired immediately by a church there in Dallas. Didn't even have to send a resume out. They knew about me, my work, and uh, they didn't even have to send a resume out. They hired me, and I served as a youth pastor there for eight wonderful years. Had a great time out there. Got involved in a ministry I'm involved in today, Pro Ministries. And, you know, I'm not here to brag or anything, but God just kept opening doors after door. Now, got a nationally syndicated radio show, work with a great team, international show now. I'm involved in speaking and teaching and preaching all over the world. You know, just came back from a wonderful trip in the Philippines, all of that. And I remember coming back maybe five, six years ago, and I was visiting an old friend from that old church. 
And I was in her shop, and she said, Pat, hey, come over. Take a look at this. Walked over, and she opened up a folder about that thick, and she said, here's all your support letters that we have kept for the last 15 years. They're all right here. And I said, wow, that's terrific. And she looked at me, and she said, you know, Pat, we were so sad to see you go 15 years ago, but you know what? That's the way it had to be. I said, what do you mean? She goes, man, it was a heartache for all of us, but uh, God had a plan after all. If you did not go back to the mainland, you would have not finished your school. You would have not gotten to study under the great men you have gotten to study with. Dr. Norm Geisler, Ron Rhodes, Gary Habermas, all said you would have never gotten to know these men. You would have never gotten to uh, write books with them and learn from them. You would have never met the supporters who support you now. You would have never hooked up with the different ministries. You would not be speaking around the world as you do now. You wouldn't have run into your radio team. None of that would have happened had you stayed here at our small little church here in Hawaii. 20 years later, now you're back with a wonderful ministry, but it would have never happened had you remained here. Even through that tragedy, God's hand of providence continued to work. Well, we are out of time, but there is so much more Pat has to say on the book of Esther. So we'll pick it up right there next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin. And by the way, if you missed part of this program or you would like to send it to some friends or family, it's available right now for download at evidenceandanswers.org. Go there and browse audio, articles, and other resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. And if we've been a blessing to you or given you some good information, please consider supporting us financially. Pat raises his own support for Evidence and Answers, and we so appreciate whatever gift you can give. You'll help keep us on the air and online with some really good news and the evidence to back it up. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. We would be so encouraged to hear from you today. We appreciate it. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers 